The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Hello, and welcome to Caught Between Generations. You know, the number of traditional nuclear families in the U.S. is steadily decreasing. An increased divorce rate, families living apart from one another due to increased mobility, significant changes in the job market, all of these factors have resulted in changes in what many would consider the traditional family. As with any change, there are always opportunities as well as challenges. And as with any transformation, people are forced to confront change and they may feel forced to adjust. And that isn't always comfortable. Changes in family structure means adaptations actually for everyone. Think about it. Children, parents, even the grandparents, and sometimes even other extended family members and sometimes family friends. So today on Quote Between Generations, we're going to help you find ways to understand two of these changes. Jeremy Adam Smith will discuss the growing phenomena of stay-at-home dads, and Laura Petherbridge will discuss with us tips for managing stepchildren and blended families. So a citation in the book, Daddy Shift, states that since 1965, the number of hours that men spend on childcare has tripled. Now, I don't usually give you statistics because, let's face it, stats are boring, right? You don't want to listen to me talk about stats. But these stats, these numbers are so impressive, I thought you really needed to hear them before we started to talk to Jeremy. The other piece is the Census Bureau counted 159,000 stay-at-home dads. This was way back in 2007, but it was almost triple what it was in 1995, and that did not include stay-at-home dads who also continue to do paying work. So the shift has implications not only for men, but it also has implications for women who now find that they are in the role of the primary breadwinner. Jeremy Adam Smith has interviewed hundreds of families, hundreds of families throughout the country. He's a researcher and author of the book, The Daddy Shift, How Stay-at-Home Dads, Breadwinning Moms, and Shared Parenting is Transforming the American Family. His writing has appeared in such publications as The Nation, Wired, and Mothering. He's a magazine editor. He's a blogger. He's been on many, many television and radio shows. And very important, Jeremy was actually a stay-at-home dad. Welcome, Jeremy, to Caught Between Generations. 
Great to be here. Oh, that's great to have you. So actually, while I'm busy quoting from your book, let me quote another quote from your book. And that is from psychologist Philip and Carolyn Cohen, who stated that, and I'll quote this, traditional and unequal family and work roles are usually associated with more stress with more stress for parents. For today's parents, the new family structures are an emerging response to a changing environment. So you've interviewed, Jeremy, hundreds of families. Is, is that your sense of what's going on throughout the country? Well, yes, is the short answer. You know, the United States is a big country, and there's lots of different kinds of families, and there's lots of different cultures, and I think that diversity, more than anything, marks us. Uh, and I think people bring different attitudes to their different family arrangements. But I think overwhelmingly, for a majority of couples today, you know, they aspire at least to some kind of egalitarian ideal. You know, women are often not satisfied to be completely economically dependent on men. And I think more and more men are not satisfied with lives that are just all about working all the time. You know, they want, you know, for women, when we talk about these things, oftentimes equity is the most important question. For men, it's meaningfulness. It's having a meaningful, well-balanced, emotionally rich life. More and more men want that. Uh, And, you know, and and when you're not living up to that ideal, uh, that can create a lot of unhappiness. You know, it's interesting that you say that because in my Syracuse centers where we do a lot of intergenerational programs, many, many years ago when we first started them, I did not anticipate men being extremely active or interested or wanting to be in those programs. And yet men are actually our most active participants, even in the Rock-A-Baby programs and in the toddler programs. And when I asked them why, you know, they wanted to participate and be in the programs, consistently they have said to me, because we never had a chance to do this with our own children, you know, right. it, it either wasn't acceptable or we were working two jobs. We just yeah. never, ever had this opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing that you talk about in the book is that men and women speak different languages when it comes to parenting. Can, can you explain that difference to us? Well, uh, you know, we're in a period of transition and we have been for a long time. And, uh, you know, I just talked about one example. You know, for a lot of women, oftentimes um, when they talk about the domestic division of labor, uh, they will use the language of equity. Um, When men talk about it, oftentimes uh, they're much more concerned with, as I said, meaningfulness, right? So, you know, and, and for a lot of women, you know, when they go to work, they are working against a sort of maternal ideal that, that says that they should take a lot of pride in the cleanliness of their home and in the, and how their children are doing. And they feel a little unhappy um, when they are not able to control that as much as they would like to. Uh, you know, by the same token, like a lot of men, you know, as they're going to uh, if they're spending more time at home, if they're prioritizing their families ahead of their careers, partially because the women, the, their their wives, you know, have jobs of their own, um, you know, they're, they're not always happy with that. It makes them feel a little bit uneasy. Uh, and so when you're in a transitional period like that, sometimes people's language is kind of jumbled up. Uh, and people, you know, men and women can talk past each other a little bit <laughs> and trying <laughs> to explore these questions. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, by the same token, you know, a lot of women... 
uh, I think, um, really embrace that sort of traditional language of caregiving, whereas that language for a lot of men is quite new. Uh, and they'll often just kind of describe their experience of taking care of children very differently. Do you think that impacts actually how they parent then, that that difference in language? Well, you know, there... It, that's an interesting question, and I think it would be arrogant of me to say that I understood it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, and I think any researcher or writer who claims that they have some sort of global understanding of what that means is uh, is maybe overreaching a little. Um, so let me so let me ask you a simpler question, okay? okay well, maybe sure. not simpler, but 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 one that is more within your your scope and experience. So, uh-huh. I I want I want to better understand the environment in which stay-at-home dads live their daily lives. So, yeah. for example, as a stay-at-home dad, what was the reaction of your family members to the oh, announcement sure. that you were going to be a stay-at-home dad? What right? Well, you know, your show is called caught between the generations, and that, and that feeling of being caught between the generations was the beginning of my book, The Daddy Shift. Uh, when I uh, cut back on my paid work in order to focus more on uh, taking care of my son, one of my uh, wife's relatives sent an email out to me and to her and to uh, all, of our, all of our relatives, I think there were like 20 people on the list where she expressed concern and disappointment that we were doing this, you know, when clearly to her, a man's job was to go to work and work as much as he could so that the mom and the, and the baby could spend as much time together as possible. Uh, and to me, what I was doing was utterly unremarkable. You know, I saw a lot of fathers um, scaling back on paid work so that they could spend a lot more time with their kids. And uh, that was the beginning of the daddy shift. What had changed from one generation to the next to change these attitudes? Um, and so, you know, I think part of my experience was uh, becoming more aware of people's, the, the range of people's attitudes towards what I was doing, um, which I hadn't previously thought of at all. Um, and also becoming aware of, like, some of the differences in which mothers and fathers took care of kids. Like, a lot of moms I observed, and I still think this is true, would tend to actually stay home <laughs> with the kids. Uh, whereas I, and I discovered this was true for a lot of primary caregiving fathers, would just head out the door. You know, the second my wife le- left for work, I would put my son in the stroller and we would go out and we'd spend the day outside doing things. Um, and, you know, it took me a little while. I mean, it sounds strange now to describe it. You know, my son's old. <laughs> he's, he's 11 going on 12, and I have a stepson now, and he's 12 years old. Um, but at the time, I really wondered if I wasn't doing something wrong by not doing what I saw most mothers doing. Um, I wondered if I was, like, damaging my son's development a little bit by, like, not, like, you know, spending more time with him at home, like, in sort of close-in, uh, more intimate activities. You know, my, my inclination was to head out. After a while, I realized that, you know, a lot of parenting is just sort of being who you are with your child and, uh, and you know, and teaching them what you have to teach them and not trying to be somebody else. If you try to be somebody else, uh, then that's going to be a source of stress for you. Um, and I don't think it's particularly good for kids. Jerry, what was the reaction um, about, you know, to the family, to your wife, that she was going to be the primary breadwinner and she wasn't going to stay at home with her child, with your son? Well, I think they were just bewildered <laughs> for, the older, for the older generation. I think it was just confusing to them. Um, uh, 
It, it, and what was interesting about it to me was that nobody in our cohort, in our cohort, you know, people amongst the parents our age, nobody was confused about that. Um, you know, I never heard an unkind word or any sort of doubt about whether or not that was the right thing to do. Was there any reaction, you know, let's say in the in the workplace with the oh, women? In the workplace. Yeah, interesting question. I I have to say, I mean, again, this is it's many years have gone by um, since I wrote the Daddy Shift, and I have a lot more experience under my belt. And you know, I have to say, and 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 also, I should say that I've seen a lot of parents, men and women, who are primary caregivers, you know, move out of that role into the workforce. Um, I have to say, you know, maybe it has affected my career. Um, you know, my the particular places where I work, people are largely supportive, um, at least in principle. And right now, you know, I work now at the UC Berkeley Greater Good Science Center, and this is a totally family-friendly friendly workplace. Um, you know, our, our, our children, the children of my coworkers, are constantly sort of cycling through the office, and we often take time off to take them to the doctor or go to performances at school or whatever, whatever is required. Um, so Jeremy, I'm... I'm going to ask you to just hold that image of being at work with all these children <laughs> swirling around. It's a great yeah, yeah. image. But I want to come back to that as soon as we're, we're done the break. And I want to ask you that. that I want sure. you to continue and answer that question. And we're also going to talk to you about the stay-at-home dads get isolated and lonely and depressed, um, yeah. like many stay-at-home moms do. So yeah, yeah. You, want, you want to stay tuned with us. We'll be right back with Jeremy Adams-Smith. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught 
between generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Merrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking to Jeremy Adam Smith, who is the author of The Daddy Shift, How Stay-at-Home Dads, Breadwinning Moms, and Shared Parenting are Transforming the American Family. So before, before the break, Jeremy was doing this great job of describing his uh, current work um, and how kids are just running all over the place. It sounded great, actually. Um, so do you want to con- that what started that discussion is I had asked Jeremy um, how the workplace, you know, responded to his being a stay-at-home dad and, and then his wife, you know, being the primary breadwinner. So, yeah. Jeremy, you want to continue your thoughts on that? You know, I was, I was actually realizing as we were talking that I, like, one of the outcomes of my period as his primary caregiver is that I really saw that time with him and my family as being something I needed to fight for. Uh, and I don't think if I had not done that, I would have come to that conclusion. Uh, and so I've actually worked really hard to be in workplaces where uh, the fact that you have a family is recognized and, and valued. Um, and, you know, and it's not accidental. You know, it's, and not everybody can get that, uh, but it's something that I worked really hard for. And when I accept, when I have accepted jobs, that's one of the questions I ask myself. You know, are they going to be family friendly? Um, and it's really made an enormous difference in my life. So, Jeremy, the other question I wanted to ask you is, you know, we often see that women have, you know, they're depressed, they're isolated. Um, they complain about, you know, being feeling like they're cut off from society when they're, when they're a stay-at-home mom. Do yeah. you see similar feelings around stay-at-home dads? Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a lot of research on this that shows um, that it is, I mean, it's a problem. Um, it's a problem for moms and dads. And, you know, and that's how my book starts. Um, you know, I sort of, the first two pages are dedicated to describing that, kind of, that feeling of isolation that I had. You know, for fathers, uh, it's aggravated by the fact that oftentimes they don't feel part of that community of mothers. Um, you know, it's in, in one of the pieces of advice that I always give dads who are taking on primary care of their kids is get yourself a gang. You know, put up an ad on Craigslist, put up a flyer around your neighborhood, go right up to fathers on the playground when you see them and talk to them and also talk to moms, of course. Um, and, you know, get yourself a community, uh, you know, because that's, especially if you're a new parent, uh, you know, and you're, you're losing a lot of your old friends. <laughs> um, it just becomes very, very important, I think, to reestablish that social connection. And, you know, it's something you have to work for. It's not something that just kind of gradually happens. You actually have to set the intention of doing that and then go about doing it. You know, Jeremy, it just dawned on me when I heard you say that, and that is I was just at a meeting, actually, at United Way, and we were talking about programs for new moms. Um, and and it just it just dawned on me that in nowhere in our conversation um, did are we were talking about new dads. Yeah. Um, and that maybe we need to identify them and give them support. And what kind of support, you know, okay. do they need? You know, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think it's in our thought process yet, although yeah. it's been around a long time. 
I agree. I mean, you know, even for people who really work in that space, who do family support work, I think it's sometimes hard to wrap your head around. And dads, you know, let's be honest, dads are hard to recruit. <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to put in extra effort to try to bring them into the fold. And I think that we're just accustomed, speaking of different languages, we're just accustomed to marketing these programs to mothers. We're not accustomed to doing that for fathers, and we don't have as much sort of accumulated knowledge of how you can reach dads. But um, to me, that's absolutely a critical question uh, if we're going to sort of build up these support structures for more paternal caregiving. Let's talk a little bit about myths around stay-at-home dads. So one of the myths actually that actually drives me a little crazy is, you know, well, you know, he's a stay-at-home dad because he's lazy and he doesn't want to work and it's easy. That drives me a little crazy because that implies that staying at home and raising a child is easy and, you know, that's why it drives me a little crazy. But what's your reaction to that? Well, anger, of course. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't, I I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to tick you off there, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, I'm kind of jaded around these questions now at this point in my life. But you know, t- staying home and taking care of a child is exhausting, and the reason it's exhausting, and, it, and the, the, the reason it's exhausting, is not often apparent from the outside. You know, you sort of look at a parent with a young child, and you think, well, they're doing nothing. Uh, but what they're doing that's totally exhausting is paying attention all the time and also continuously putting the needs of this very needy human being ahead of their own all the time. Uh, and that is completely exhausting. Uh, and it's a lot of work. I mean, there's also a lot of internal work going on. And, and we know from this research, uh, that, you know, there's more and more research about what's the biological processes that underpin caregiving behaviors in both moms and dads. We know that their bodies are changing very dramatically. You know, the, the, there's just a lot going on on the inside, and their psychology is changing very dramatically. And that entire experience just really depletes you. Uh, and that's why parents with young children need extra support. I, I, I agree. And let's get back. I want to get back to something you just said about, because that's one of the other myths, which are fathers are not biologically fit um, to care for children. And and I will tell you that as a therapist, when I was working with children, I had many fathers who were taking care of children because actually mothers had abandoned the family mm-hmm. uh, and they were not even in the picture. Um, yeah. They were not available. And now at Syracare, I have men who are taking care of either wives or mothers who have Alzheimer's disease or they've had a stroke um, or something else that really debilitates them. And um, I see men really stepping into the role of caregiving. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it's true. It, there was a time uh, when if something happened to the mother, uh, and the father was stuck with the care of a child, or if you know, or if one, if the female member of the family got very ill, that oftentimes another female family member, a grandmother or an aunt, would come in and and take primary care of the child. That was very very normal. You see this turn up a lot in novels from the 19th and early 20th century. Uh, but that's changed very dramatically. Um, that is not the default assumption anymore. Uh, it is assumed that men are going to step up uh, and take primary care of kids uh, or their partners if that's thrust upon them. Uh, that's not expected. I think it's actually largely invisible. Um, however, it's happening. And, you know, and I think that there's a kind of, 
I think for a lot of men they, they, who are dealing with that, you know, they go through a struggle because that's not part of their self-image. And, you know, and it's not, and because they, because it's not part of their self-image, they will often hide the pain that they're going through uh, and not let on that it's as much a struggle as it is. And as a result of that, oftentimes they don't get the support that they need, which, and you really need that support if you're taking care of a child by yourself or you're taking care of a child and a sick spouse. You know, it's interesting to me that um, either with children or with seniors, I find that the men um, are very, very reluctant um, to attend and participate in support groups, that there is a feeling, at least, that I see that by complaining or talking, you know, about someone they're taking care of, um, that, you know, that's kind of a break of confidentiality and they shouldn't be doing that. So, you know, we have formed... Um, we found that we have men's caregiver support group. It's for men led by men um, because they don't really want to be in a mixed gender group, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. Let's yeah. do the last kind of myth, which is that stay-at-home dads have a higher risk of uh, children being dysfunctional. Huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, first I ticked you off, and now I i don't know. I could <laughs> disturb you. I have <laughs> Well, you know, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, I think that that particular myth is declining a lot. Um, I like really in the past, like in the in the past five years, we've seen that decline a lot. And there's more and more research. Like male caregiving was very new, and there wasn't a lot of research into the impacts. And in fact, most research focused on when they looked at when the research looked at child outcomes, it really focused on the mother's role. Um, so there was this kind of sexism built into the structure of how we understood uh, the relationship between caregiving styles and child outcomes. Uh, but that's been changing. Um, we have a better understanding. Uh, on, on the level of the research literature of what's happening with men and children. But I also think people in general are gaining more experience and seeing the ch- children raised by uh, fathers as either primary caregivers or just as equal co-parents. And they're seeing that those kids are just like everybody else's kids. And uh, I think people are worrying less and less about it. I mean, you know, I live in the Bay Area in California, and, you know, I may, that's clearly a bubble of some kind. This may not be true everywhere. Um, but I think it's more true. Uh, and, I, and I have to say, I look at my own son now. Um, I've actually gone through a personal turning point during the past six months where I've really come to appreciate what a solid, intimate relationship I have with my son. And how very well balanced he is emotionally. Um, Now, I don't know if me staying home or being an involved parent, uh, I don't know to what degree, you know, that helped. Um, I do know it didn't hurt. Uh, And and I've done my best. Uh, So, and I, you know, and I think a lot of people can see that. Right. I'm sure they have. And, And Jeremy, I'm sure you did do your best. And I'm thrilled to hear about your son. Jeremy, give us your contact information and where we can get the book. Well, uh, the book was published by Beacon Press, and you can go, you can just Google The Daddy Shift in Beacon Press, and you'll go right to their website and find the page where you can buy it. Um, and you can find me at the UC Berkeley Greater Good Science Center. I, I'm the editor now of Greater Good Magazine, and that's a great magazine, and I hope you'll check it out. That's great. Eddie, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
We'll be back after the break with Laura Petherbridge, author, international speaker, and most importantly, Laura, like Jeremy, has lived the life, and that is she is a stepmom. Laura will share with us practical ideas you can use today. We're going to be talking about handling holidays and family events, looking at step parenting from a father's perspective, and how to create a spa for the soul. A spa for the soul. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We have been discussing changes in the traditional family structure. First, we discussed stay-at-home dads with Jeremy Adam Smith, and now we have with us Laura Petherbridge, who's going to share some practical advice on step parenting with us. Laura is an international speaker and author of just one of her books is called When I Do Becomes I Don't, Practical Steps for Healing During Separation and Divorce, and she's co-author of The Smart Stepmom, Practical Steps to Help You Thrive. Welcome to Quote Between Generations, Laura. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you. So, Laura, you had a statement in your book that I I just found, it, it just really took me aback, and I found it so significant. And that was that you said that step families are founded on loss, on loss. Yeah. Can, can you yeah. talk about that? 
Yes, many people are surprised to hear me say that, and sometimes even step-family members don't like for me to say that or to bring that up because they want to just think, well, no, my step-family was founded on love. And so it doesn't mean that the couple's not in love, but what's so important for people to understand in step-families and why that they're so complicated is because every step-family has been founded on loss either a death or a divorce or the breakup of a relationship had to have occurred in order for the step family to form. There, there is a past relationship that has now died in order for the step family to exist. And so that's what I mean by that, that all step families are birthed on loss. The reason that's so significant is that it's important to understand that loss brings with it fear, anger, frustration, confusion, all sorts of grief, all sorts of emotions that are different than you would have in a first-time marriage. So that's why it's so critical for people to understand that all step-families have been birthed out of a loss. You know, I think that is a reframing, a, a way of looking at things in a different perspective that is just extraordinary um, because I think it can make the difference between being judgmental and angry at people's reactions and actually trying to understand uh, their perspective and where they're coming from. Um, I think for both children and for parents, the, the children that I've had um, that I've seen professionally, you know, there, there are all kinds of losses. I mean, the losses are, you know, what you refer to, but there are small losses, I think, that are very important to children that people um, overlook, and that is change in routines, um, moving from house to house. Uh, when there's shared parenting is often very, very stressful on the children. Um, there are lots of changes in their lives and losses that they, that they have to adjust to. It's, and I right. think it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it, it truly is. Um, my own parents divorced when I was eight years old. So I totally agree with what you're describing. The losses when you are the child of a divorce or, you know, I do life coaching with all kinds of people that the the situation is the death of a parent. You're, You're just dealing with so many changes and losses and fears that you didn't even know and you're ambushed by new ones all the time. And as you say, it just makes it so much easier for people as they progress into step-family living, if they'll learn this is not really something I'm doing right or something I'm doing wrong or whether the children are good kids or bad kids or bratty kids, a lot of it is because everybody is coping with the loss. And some people have processed it well before a remarriage, but I would say probably 80% of the people that I minister to or, or give counsel to, they have not processed the loss of their first marriage, death or divorce, properly. So they're bringing a lot of still unresolved issues into the next marriage. So, Laura, how long do you think it actually takes for a blended family to begin to function more cohesively? Well, there are a lot of factors that contribute to that answer. Part of the answer is in how long the parent waited before they remarried. 
If they remarry quickly, um, the, the bonding process will normally take longer because everybody was thrown into a new mix without having time to, to grieve and to patch up those wounds and to get help for those wounds. Um, also, if there is a lot of change, you know, changes in homes, changes in schools, changes in all kinds of things, that will cause it to be longer. But almost every um, person that I've worked with that specializes in step families, that understands step family dynamics, will say it is a minimum of seven years before the two families start to view themselves as, as blended or bonded into one family. Sometimes that never occurs, but if it's going to occur, it normally takes about seven years. I bet many, many people find that somewhat shocking, and <laughs> other people will find it comforting because I think we... we, we you know, experience these things, and we expect that in six months, eight months, you know, we should be adjusted. Everyone should be, you know, you know, waltzing down the yellow brick road, holding hands and singing, you know, kumbala and whatever, <laughs> you know, and you know, and, yeah. and it should happen. And so, to hear seven years, I I think would make me feel better. You know, it gives me more time to settle down, relax, and and try to work on things. It is. You're right. It's almost a catch-22 because it does bring comfort in knowing, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not the wicked stepmom or the wicked stepdad. This does take a long time. The flip side to that is is that we live in such an instant society that people uh, just don't want to believe that. They resist that, especially when I do pre-marriage help. Um, they, they think I'm crazy when I say that. Now, six months after the wedding, they contacted me and go, okay, you were right. We <laughs> thought we were the exception to the rule. But, you know, it sounds like such a long time. And so we resist hearing that if we don't don't like you know, those numbers. So, but it it can be very comforting for the person or for the couple that's really working at this and can't figure out why is this taking so long? (laughs) So yeah, it's sort of a catch 22. So you, Laura, you have great strategies in your books for lots of things. Let's just do one. So one of the difficult things is holidays, especially um, for the children who, once again, have had certain routines and traditions they're used to. Um, plus, you have to now deal with the other family. So what are your suggestions for um, dealing with holidays? Yes, holidays are a real trigger, largely because almost every holiday or celebration is surrounded by emotions and traditions. So you not only have now these two families that are coming together, which also means now more in-laws and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. You know, it's not just bringing the, the child or even the adult child now not only has, you know, their own mom and dad and their families, but now there's a third person. And if both parents have remarried, Now we've got a fourth person. So you're mixing all of these traditions and all of these 
thoughts on how we're going to do this, whether it be a wedding or a graduation or Christmas time or Thanksgiving. And so everyone is coming into it again with emotions. You know, our holidays are tied to traditions and music and smells and how grandma used to make the the stuffing, you know, all of that. And we're throwing people together who have a totally different background and we're expecting all of them to just mesh and get along. That's if the two, the the spouses, the ex-spouses are getting along. If there's fighting between the exes, the ex-wife and the ex-husband, now you've got a whole different dynamic because you've got fighting over who's going to get the family for the holiday, who's going to win the family. And so it can turn into just such complicated, frustrating, um, really just angst if if you're not careful. So it's important to recognize that this may occur and prepare for it beforehand. Don't be ambushed by all of those things that are going to happen. So Laura, how do you prepare ahead of time so that you're not ambushed? Well, for example, we're coming into wedding season now. So it's a good time, you know, we'll talk about just, uh, you know, there's so many, but let's just pick weddings. Uh, Weddings is a very hot topic in step family because you're having a child get married and you have a mom and a dad who are divorced. Let's say they're divorced and the child is trying to plan the wedding and is trying to keep everybody happy normally. They're trying to make sure, oh, I can't put mom and dad. I remember my own wedding telling the photographer many times, please do not try to put my mother and father in a cozy mom and dad picture because they do not, my parents are divorced, they don't get along. And well, of course he forgot and so he kept trying to move them into a photo to look like a husband and wife. And there I was on my wedding day still trying to keep peace and still trying to be the one, you know, keeping everybody happy. And so as the child you're so frustrated because this is supposed to be your wedding day. It's supposed to be a happy day. And if you've got parents on both sides or step-parents on both sides that aren't getting along, that are fighting, that are they, they want to be the center of attention or they want it their way. So the thing you have to do in particular as a step-parent is to step back. This is not your child. I don't care if you even raised them. This is not your child. Let the child have the wedding the way they feel will bring peace that day. I'm not saying to roll over and play dead and and to, you know, let people walk on you or treat you badly. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying don't force your way into the wedding celebration if you are the step-parent. If the child wants this to be a day where the mom and dad are the center of attention and not the step-parent. Let them have that because it's their wedding. And mm-hmm. so you have to prepare for that ahead of time, especially a step-mom. It, that can be very tender because she may have poured a great deal into this child and she views herself as, the, as a, you know, a second mom. Um, but often the child does not want her in that role on on the wedding day. And so she gets hurt hurt and, and the child's stressed. 
I think it's good advice. It's hard to do, I think, but I think you're right. The focus on any of these events, um, graduations, weddings, whatever it is, needs to be on the child, and then everything else will flow from there. When we return, we're going to continue getting great advice from Laura Petherbridge. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about um, adult stepchildren, and actually I'm going to ask her a question about step-grandchildren, and a little bit about step-parenting from a men's perspective. Stay tuned. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking to Laura Petherbridge about step parenting, and she's been giving us some very, very good advice. She is the author of many books, one of them being 101 Tips for the Smart Stepmom, Expert Advice from One Stepmom to Another. So, Laura, I want to talk about um, adult stepchildren, and with that, the issue of step-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that brings up another whole um, issues that we've not addressed yet. Yes. Well, many people think that step families are only complicated when it's little kids, that the kids are adjusting with visitation or whatever. But that's totally untrue because many adult 
stepkids uh, struggle when a parent remarries, you know, when they're, when they're adults, when they're not little, but they're grown up, even, you know, into middle age and their parents remarry. And there is a great deal of um, just complexities that can come along with that. Normally those, uh, when you move into the adult stepkids, the issues normally are centered around finances or the will, you know, or the um, things that belonged to mom or dad before she died or before the divorce, or it's people that waited and got divorced later in life, and so the kids never thought this was coming. And so adult stepkids can grieve and have tremendous problem when a parent remarries, even when they're older. So it's important to recognize it's not just younger kids. You know, Laura, actually, I hadn't realized it until you said that. I mean, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's true, and that is that a lot of fighting in families comes around possessions um, and, and assets and money. Um, so it hadn't really dawned on me before that that might even become worse in um, blended families. Oh, yes, yes, especially if dad remarries. They, the children are afraid that, if, say, mom died and dad remarries, they're afraid that the new wife is going to inherit everything. And so it's very important for them to talk through all their finances, make sure they have a good will. It's good for the couple to talk about that before they get remarried so that the new wife or the new husband isn't assuming something that's not going to be accurate. So very, very key issue when you remarry as an adult. I also think another issue um, just dawned on me is the issue of durable power of attorneys um, for health as well as for finance. It needs to be yes. thought through very, very carefully. Absolutely. All of those legal issues, really important to get with an attorney and make sure because, you know, I have a dad that died without a will and he had been married three times. And so, you know, it can just be so complicated. So anyone hearing this, I mean, whether you're in a step family or not, please don't die without putting all of that information in, uh, down on paper because it's really hard on the kids when you don't. What about step-grandchildren? What's your advice for that? Well, it really depends at, at what stage you were when the remarriage occurred. I have been remarried for 30 years. I have two step-grandchildren, I have two step-sons and two step-grandchildren, but those kids came into the world after I was married to their grandpa. So they have only known me in their life from the very beginning. I am not step-nana to them. I am nana because they've been, you know, I've been their nana since they were born. Now, in my circumstance, I was allowed by the stepsons and the daughters-in-law to be in a nana role. Some kids won't allow that. Some, if they feel that that's a betrayal to their mother, um, to allow the stepmother to be in an active role of the child, they may withhold that. They may say, no, my mom's going to be upset if you're in that role, and, you know, so I'm sorry, you're not going to be in that role. I just happened to be in a situation where they wanted me to be Nana to their children and, um, you know, while having their own biological mom. And 
it worked out great. Those kids, you know, they're they're wonderful. I'm. It's it's a big perk of being a step parent when you're allowed to to be able to embrace those step kids in your life. But I never tried to push my way. I never asserted. I never assumed I was the grandmother. I only went as far as my stepsons felt it was wise and advisable to be, I never tried to overstep the bounds of their natural grandmother. And so that was part of why this worked, because I meet a lot of step parents that try to bully their way in to these children's lives, and the kids don't like it, the grandkids don't like it, and it gets ugly. (laughs) So along with everything else in step families, you really have to play it by ear and see what is the best move in your circumstance. So, Laura, you had uh, a section in your book that I told you what on the break that I, I just, just love saying this. It just relaxes me. You talk about creating a spa for the soul. I just love mm. that, Laura. Mm. So you. can you explain that a little bit? Well, I think part of being in a step family is just recognizing that I have to discover the role that I play in this family. I can't force my way into a place, you know, the people that really dictate how much of a relationship a stepmom or stepdad is going to have with their stepchild is the stepchild. They dictate how much they're going to let you into their life and how much they aren't. And that doesn't mean I don't do things that can help that or hinder that, but the child really is in the driver's seat of whether they're going to embrace a step-parent or not. And so for me, I had, for me, I have a strong faith in God. For me, the spa for my soul was, God, please teach me what part I can play in the lives of these kids. And let that be enough. Help me not to feel like I'm, you know, pulling back too much. Help me that I'm not pushing in too much. Help me just to understand what my role is in their life and to be satisfied with that. Not feel, you know, not feel that I'm being cheated or, or that I, uh, you know, am not fulfilling something. Let me be at peace with, with the role that I am allowed to play in their life. And let it be Laura, enough. Laura, this has been wonderful information and um, you have such, you know, striking comments and, and insights in your book. We really appreciate it. Um, you. Do you want to share with us some contact information? Yes, I'd love to. You can obtain any of this information or any CDs or DVDs, anything like that, on my website, thesmartstepmom.com, thesmartstepmom.com. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. My takeaway today has to do with disruptions. So change is always difficult. It makes us uncomfortable and sometimes anxious. We don't always know how to react or what to say. And so sometimes the result is that the people we care about end up feeling hurt or unloved or unappreciated. So the ways in which families communicate to each other may vary widely. The ways in which they express emotions and affection may also vary widely. Perhaps you've received negative feedback about your parenting style or your family structure, and it doesn't feel so good. In the end, we want people and families to be happy, all right? We want 
children to feel good about themselves, to feel confident in themselves. And we want adults who feel supported and loved. There are many, many paths to these goals. So whether you or someone you know has chosen a different path, try supporting them in their journey. Try to understand and then acknowledge their path. And you know what? You may be surprised to find that you have learned some new things along their path that are interesting and enjoyable. This is Dr. Merrill reminding you to do just one thing this week to care for yourself. Write to me. I really love hearing from you. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.